Good morning again to you, church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen, and I serve as one of the pastors and elders here. Such a privilege for me to be preaching to you this morning. And we are in the middle of a series on the book of 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles here, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. We will have the words behind me on the screen. Always great to have it in front of you as well. And this kind of marks us passing the halfway mark uh, because it's a nine-week series. But today is week five uh, on this series. And I told you last week that Peter is turning up the heat. He's going to start getting up in our faces. Because here's the thing. Many of us don't mind being told what to believe. We just don't want to be told what to do. And Peter's getting practical because he started on our belief system. He's establishing these roots in these foundations. And then he transitioned. I don't know if you remember that verse from last week. Uh, it's all online for you who missed it. He transitioned to that verse now after we've put these big foundations in place. Now live such good lives amongst the pagans. And the rest of the book, in my opinion, is him unpacking that. How do we live such good lives amongst those who don't know God and are far from God? And that is very much the culture that is around us. And Peter doesn't pull these blows and he goes into all the kind of sticky parts of life. And today he's going to be speaking to us about marriage. And uh, whether you're married, post-marriage, pre-marriage, I think there's something here for every single one of us. So track with us. And as far as this text goes, from the beginning, I want to encourage the following stance for you because I think we're all going to feel encouraged at some stage and challenged at some other stages. And I want to remind you that when God speaks to us and when God challenges us, it's what He wants for us, not from us. God is not up there in heaven demanding things from us. He knows what brings life to us. He knows what brings life and love to this world. And therefore, as we submit to His goal for our lives, we're going to walk in greater life and greater love. So in our marriages, this is something God wants for you, not from you. And maybe I could even extend that to saying for the world through you. So, those who are married, or maybe even dating, how many of you would say that uh, the axiom opposites attract apply to you? <laughs> Some uh, hands shot up a lot faster than others. Uh, maybe you've been in a relationship long enough to experience that sometimes opposites attract, and then you get married, and then opposites attack. Now, that's cool, that's cool, but Bianca and I are very, very different. Bianca is an extrovert, I'm an introvert. Bianca likes dancing, I like looking cool on the side. Bianca likes country, I like rock. Uh, Bianca, when she goes shopping, she likes gathering. Some of you know what that means. I like hunting. Um, She's a night owl and she could talk into all the hours of the night. Uh, my brain just ceases to function at about 10 o'clock at night. So but we're figuring out that difference isn't necessarily bad. In fact, I think most of who we are today is more because of our differences than because of the easy, easy parts of our marriage. Um, and we've had to navigate this. And somehow, just like if I want to play a guitar, I need a right hand that is equal in value to my left hand. They're equal, but they are different. And in marriage, that is working in the same way. 
So God is going to be speaking to us about the fact that we are equal. And yet God is going to speak to us as he created marriage. He's going to speak speaking differently to men. And he's going to be speaking differently to ladies in this area of marriage. Now, unfortunately for me, and we're about to get to the text. So uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Unfortunately for me, Peter starts off with the ladies. I would much rather start off with the guys. All right, because I feel what he said to the ladies makes much more sense after what he said to the guys. Uh, So I'll have to take this up with Peter one day uh, when I get up to heaven. But uh, he starts off the ladies. Men, we are going to get to you. But let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm just going to start off with two words. Likewise, wives. Likewise, wives. Now, Likewise, what is he referring to? If you were here last week, maybe you remember that Peter is teaching us that as Christians, we don't fight with sin with sin. As Christians, we are called to submit to government's authorities, both just authorities as well as unjust authorities. We are also called to submit to our employees, both just employees and unjust employees. And I know we had to journey with that and we had to wrestle with that and in case we got confused Peter said listen guys let me just point to the one who is the ultimate authority let me point you towards the king of kings let me point you towards the one through whom the entire universe was made and let me show you what he did because he submitted himself not only did he submit himself to the father's will but he submitted himself to the will of an unjust Roman government to the point where he let them take his life. And that is how last week ended. And now he starts off, likewise, wives. Men, he's going to start off the verse to you. Likewise, men. So when we get into the wife section, I don't want to see any elbowing because Peter's going to bring it when he comes to you, right? Because likewise, wives, and then just now, likewise, wives. Men. Okay, so we're going to be sober and we're going to be looking forward. Um, I, I don't know what you think, though, is the end game of marriage because we bring a whole lot of assumptions to any passage of Scripture that we read. And um, probably uh, in the area of marriage, it's where we bring our, our assumptions. And I want to ask you, if you had to just play out in your own mind and be honest, uh, just what is the end game of marriage for you? And for many of us sitting here, the end game of marriage looks more like a Disney movie than real life. We somehow believe that by the end of our lives, we're going to be kind of romanced and romancing and little prince and little princess uh, and, uh, and I'm all for romance and God's all for romance and God created romance and I believe romance is a beautiful, wonderful thing to be experienced in our marriage from day one right to day zero. But the end game of marriage is not about your romance. The end game of marriage, the reason God created marriage is not about your happiness as much as he wants you to be happy in marriage. The end game of marriage is for you and your husband to be a living, breathing, walking picture of the gospel. That is why he created marriage. 
Just like communion we're going to have just now. It's a, a, an experienced picture of the gospel. The broken bread of Christ's broken body and the juice of Christ's shed blood. We literally taste it and ingest it thinking of the cross. If we think about baptism, I'm going into water. A picture of my sins being washed away and I come out uh, from death to life, just a symbolic representation of what Christ has done in me. And Jesus is saying in the same way, marriage is meant to be a living, breathing picture of the gospel. Now, why do I say that? In Ephesians chapter five, and we're just gonna connect a couple of dots. If you want to, I'm gonna loosely touch on pieces of Ephesians chapter five. Uh, feel free to have your other finger in there. Otherwise, just track with me. But in Ephesians chapter five, Paul is also teaching on marriage and, he, and he's speaking about wives and he's speaking about husbands. And he's, then he goes into this whole kind of uh, uh, dialogue whereby the lines between talking about marriage and talking about Christ and the church get blurred. And then he says, guys, this is a great mystery, but I'm not talking about marriage anymore. I'm talking about Christ and the church. The gospel. Christ laying down his life for the church. And then he gets back to talking about marriage. So that is why I say very confidently that this is God's goal for marriage. And therefore, we have to land our thinking. When we read on from here, whether we're speaking to the wives or the husbands or future wives and husbands, we need to land our thinking in God's goal, in God's paradigm, in God's dreams for what marriages are meant to be in this world. So let's continue reading. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And for now, let's just stop there because I know that the second I said the S word, a lot of the ladies' hair went up on the back of their neck. And I know for many people, kind of the picture that came into mind was like barefoot pregnant in the kitchen, husband like drinking beer, watching TV all day long, barking you around and telling you exactly what he wants you to do. And you're like, Stephen, this is 2018. That's caveman stuff, all right? And I want to suggest to you that if any form of that is the first thing that came into your mind, whether you are a male or a female, a husband or a wife, I want to suggest to you that that's maybe not what God intended by this word. And I want to encourage you to kind of suspend some of that judgment and maybe hear what God's heart is for marriage in the context of the gospel because none of this makes sense if we don't believe the gospel. None of this makes sense if we don't believe the gospel. You see, when Jesus submitted himself to the Romans, to his father, and then finally to death, it seemed as if Jesus was at his weakest and that is when he was doing his greatest. Would you agree with me? So if we believe that, we've got to believe that maybe how God's power works is different to how the power of this world works. So let's read on. But um, guys, I want to say this to you. Husbands, nowhere does this passage say, husbands, get submission out of your wives. This passage is not a how-to book on how to get your wife to do whatever you want her to do. All right, wives, this is addressed to you. Husbands, feel free to listen in. And later on, we're gonna get up in the faces of the husbands. Wives, feel free to listen in. But wives, this is for you. And it is up to you to decide in your heart how you are gonna respond to God's word in this. This is not a sort of Christian trick to subjugate women. Just to go back to the gospel 
I want to remind us that again, the gospel is all about how Christ submitted to us. And if we think about this again, Christ is the King of Kings. He is the ultimate authority, yet He submitted to this, which means submission does not necessarily mean it is equal with weakness. If Christ voluntarily submitted for the sake of God's glory and the gospel, we cannot say submission is weakness. In fact, we see the King of Kings calling us, the church, to submit to Him. And then we see Him submitting to us. He doesn't submit to us as Lord, but He submits to our deepest needs. Do you get that? He doesn't submit to us as if we are the authority. He submits to our deepest point of need, taking responsibility. And somehow the truth is found. If you go to Ephesians 5, look for chapter 4, verse 21. He's about to speak to husbands and wives. And in verse 21, he says, submit one to another, husbands and wives, one to another out of your mutual submission to Christ. And because we're different, then he speaks to us differently as Christ calls us to submit to him and he submitted to our needs to save us so that is going to be echoed in marriage think about it again men and women when you submitted to Christ is it because he coerced you is it because he got the big stick out is it because he told you if you don't love me you're going to go to hell or did Christ win you over by loving you Did you begin to realize that the gospel is how the King of Kings laid down his life for you? And is that not where your submission comes from? Out of love, not fear. So these are all just helping us create a framework within which to think. So likewise, wives, be subject to your husband. The best way I've heard this paraphrase is this. Follow him as he follows Christ. Follow Him as He follows Christ. In other words, this does not mean you become His slave. I heard one pastor say, so, you know, in light of this verse, if you're sitting there and your husband's watching TV and he says, wife, go get me a nice tea, it will go to the kitchen. Pour him a nice tea and walk up to him and pour it in his lap because that's not what this verse is saying. This is not trying to subjugate you and make you his slave. This does not mean women are inferior. In fact, later on this passage says that, guys, in the kingdom, men and women are equal. We understand that from creation, men and women are created equal in the image of God. Later on, we are both co-heirs in the gospel, husbands and wife, equal in the kingdom of God. And what this is doing is actually restoring so much of what is broken and not propagating so much of what is broken. We're going to read the verses that follow, but this is going to show us that one of the most powerful ways to win over our husband is to live in this way. I don't know why I said our husband. I don't don't have a husband. Uh, uh. (laughs) See, today, it's kind of common understanding 
is the way to win a man, the way to win your husband over is going to be on one hand, either with your sex appeal and your looks and how you dress and how you look, whether you're 30, 40, 50 or 60. And that's the way I'm going to secure him. On the other hand, the kind of common narrative is I'm going to kind of manipulate him and coerce him into doing what I feel he needs to be. But listen to the wisdom of the following verses. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. These verses are not saying, do not do your hair up, do not go to gym, do not put makeup on, and do not get clothes that make you look great. These verses are saying though, that if somehow you feel, whether it's because of your brokenness, the brokenness of your husband or the brokenness of this world, that if you feel your value is found exclusively in how you look externally, God wants to rewire that because your real value is the you. The real value is the beautiful you. And let me say, guys, if we focus exclusively on what is external, that gets us so far. I mean, I'm already starting to be more dad bod than a beach, uh, kind of beach bod kind of thing. Uh, So these things fade. They do not have the power to get you to run the long race. And if I can even say from a man's perspective, yes, it is wonderful for us both to be looking after ourselves. It is wonderful for us both just to be loving each other in that way. But listen, that's the exterior. What is far more beautiful to me is who my wife is. And, and this, this verse says that that is where unending beauty is. That is where everlasting beauty is located. I love that, I love that. And this passage goes on to say, even if your husband is a total punk, this is gonna do more to win him over than all the forcing or the arguing or the contriving or the underhandedness that sometimes we resort to. This is gonna do so much more to win him over. Now, I want to, that's kind of my time with the ladies. Men, are you ready? Let's read from verse seven. I'm gonna read the whole verse and just unpack that in time. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. And again, I'll ask you, both husbands and wives, to avail yourself to possibly some other meanings than maybe uh, the kind of objectification that comes up in our hearts immediately. Let's read that verse again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So husbands, likewise husbands, some of your translations may say, in the same way, 
husbands. In other words, Peter is trying to show you just as much as he was challenging the wives to lay down their lives in the model of Christ, he's going to be challenging men to lay down their lives in the model of Christ. Likewise, men. Likewise, men. The way Paul says it in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Again, men, This command is not to ensure that your wife is holding up her end of the bargain. That's up to her and God. This command is to you. This command is to you for you to hear God's word between the eyes and decide what you are going to do with this. The minute we say as husbands, but the Bible says submits, I can tell you, you've already lost the plot and you're way too late. You've already misunderstood the gospel. You've probably been failing in your part as a husband to play your role. So let me advise you and counsel you to never say those words to your wife. Likewise, husbands, this is for you. So let's reread this. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. I think... I speak for many, if not all women here. Uh, I know that my wife's greatest desire is to be understood. It's for me, not just listen, I want to me to listen. <laughs> and that says more about my listening skills than about what she's trying to say to me, by the way. For me to listen and to understand her. Do I understand what she needs in life? Do I understand what supporting her really looks like? Do I understand how she likes her coffee in the morning? Do I understand that when she comes home from work, does your wife need half an hour to unwind and just give her her space? Or does she need to unpack her day with you? Do you understand her? And are you then going to live in an understanding way? Meaning, I've heard you, I've understand you, and now I'm going to adapt my life to what I now know about you. Hey, I told you, he's going to get in your face. Now, men, I know that the stereotype kind of goes that women are the greatest mystery in the world and trying to understand women is much harder than trying to understand like hieroglyphics. Um, I think those jokes kind of need to stop there because Peter's saying try. Peter's saying, don't use that stereotype as a way out. Understand your wife and work very hard to love her in this way. This is why, again, we go back to that verse, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. See, what I've often heard is, you know what? I don't wash the dishes because I'm ahead of the home. I don't change nappies Because I'm head of the home. And I'm saying, imagine Jesus loved us in that way. I don't wash your feet because I'm the king of the universe. And I don't wash your sin because I'm holy. What did Jesus do? In order to love us, he washed our stinky, filthy feet. And he took our stinky, filthy sin upon himself. And he loved us by laying down himself for us. In the same way, likewise, husbands, love your wives, roll up your sleeves, run a bath for your wife, wash some dishes, get those nappies changed, and love your wife like Christ loved the church. 
Let's continue to read. Husbands, love your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, Stephen, what on earth does that mean? The weaker vessel. Well, most commentators would agree it's tied up to this word showing honor. Showing honor to the weaker vessel. What happens on average in most cultures over most of history, we show dishonor. And as a result, on average, because I know it can turn around, but on average, who gets abused more than uh, the other, men or women? On average, who gets taken advantage of society more than the other, men or women? On average, who suffers more from domestic abuse, men or women? Women. On average, who suffers physical violence more than the other, men or women? Women. Every single time, historically, and it is equally true today, women suffer more at the hands of men than the other way around. Some of you may know about this hashtag MeToo campaign. As women from all sectors, business and entertainment are coming out saying, I've also experienced that. And what Peter's saying is, men, turn the tide, reverse the trend, treat women. Because what does he say here? He says, guys, these are heirs with you of the grace of life. These are your equals. Therefore, instead of going with culture and living with women in a place of dishonor, honor them as your equals. Honor them, honor them as the weaker party. Look after them. Put your body in their way. Put your life in their way. Showing honor. Now, there are a number of ways that we can do this. I'm just going to really speak about one. And I want to encourage men, both married and not, to do this. Speak well of your wife. And speak well to your wife. Show honor. Show honor by speaking well of her. How do you speak about your wife to your friends? I'm not talking about an accountability, mature relationship where sometimes you need to unpack some of the difficulties of marriage is looking for wisdom, looking for love, looking for support. I'm talking about the jokes around the briar. How do you speak of her? Are you dishonoring her? Or are you honoring her? Just speaking of her value, speaking of her beauty, choosing to speak about the wonderful gift that she is to her. Speak well of her. And number two, speak well to her. Tell her how beautiful she is. Tell her how wonderful she is. Tell her what she means to you. Tell her this gift that God gave you in her is the best gift you could have ever received. Honor her. Speak well of her and speak well to her. Here's a bit of a litmus test. What do your kids see? On average, give it a few months at home. Do your kids hear dad honoring her? Do your kids just grow up hearing my dad just honor my mom, telling her how wonderful she is, telling her how incredibly amazing she is, telling her how valuable she is? Is that what your kids are hearing? And sometimes it's not just our words. Bianca tells me I get the look. You know, the disapproving look. Are your kids seeing the disapproving look way too often? Let me tell you the stakes of this. Stakes of this are this. If you are using your words to tear down more than to break up, if you have a son, you are teaching him not only to do that to his mother, but to do that to his wife. And if you have your daughter, you are teaching her it is okay to be treated like that. 
What is God doing? He's challenging us, but He's calling us to greater gospel. He's calling us to greater love. He's calling us to greater unity and to live such good marriages amongst the pagans as they watch us do this thing called life. Now, men, I'm still with you here. Just in case you think that this is an empty promise, there's actually a small little threat in this thing. So we are going to treat our wives with honor so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I don't have any daughters, but I did marry somebody's daughter. And I see he is here. Um, yes, you're an awesome parents and law, and you love you guys, and uh, you've got a wonderful daughter here, and just battering you up a bit here. But um, I did marry Conrad and Jean's little princess. Now I imagine as I courted her and as I made my promises to her and as I stand, stood in an altar, confessing my love for her before God and friends and family and her, committing myself to honor her for the rest of her days. Imagine I went from that place and lived a life of dishonor her, dishonoring her, tearing her down with my words and my actions and my thoughts. And imagine I walked into his home going, how's it? You know, can you help me out with some bucks? And you know, how's it going? Having a good time? He's going to say, Stephen, are you crazy? Do you really think you can dishonor my daughter and walk into my home and pretend that everything's okay? And God's saying to some of us, you married my princess and you are dishonoring her. And you go to church and you read your Bible and do these wonderful things. But you're dishonoring her. Do you really think when your prayers make it into heaven that I'm going to go, yeah, whatever. Do you really think I'm going to open up heaven to you? The answer here is no. Our prayers will be hindered. Men, maybe some of the reasons why your prayers are being hindered are not because of uh, you know, the economy or not because of anything else in your life. Maybe your prayers are being hindered because the number one thing God is doing in your life is trying to teach you to honor His princess. And now I just want to kind of give you a push in the right direction over there. So men, what are we talking about here? We're talking about loving leadership. We're talking about loving leadership. Follow him as, as he follows Christ. I'm going to be as bold as to take this one step further. And I don't have any one particular person in mind. This is unfortunately universally true. This is unfortunately true cross-culturally and cross-histories. Because on average, there are usually more women in church than men. And on average, on average, there are more wives trying to lead their family into faith than husbands. On average, the wife is saying, come on, get out of bed. Why did you drink so much last night? And trying to get their family to church. On average, it's the wife trying to raise the children. And you know what? God honor you guys. And God give you guys great power and anointing if that's your story. But this challenge to us as men is where are you? What story are you telling by abdicating your responsibility to lead your family into faith? What are you putting before God? Are we going to get to the end of our lives and discover that none of that counted except this legacy? So I want to talk quickly to single men and quickly to single ladies and then we're going to come together at the table. Single men, 
Start practicing. Start practicing. Start practicing speaking well of the ladies in your life. Ladies in general. Start practicing speaking well to the ladies in your life and ladies in general. Start showing honor wherever you can and press hard into Jesus. Our leadership call is to press hard into Jesus. We don't press hard into Jesus so that my wife will submit to me. No, I press hard into Jesus because he saved me and he has called me to a great compelling adventure. So press hard into Jesus, man. Young men, married men, press hard into him. Live lives of radical and courageous obedience. And single men, start practicing that. And by the way, those women behind computer screens, start practicing honoring them by saying no to that. Single ladies, if you're dating a guy, the number one question you need to ask is this. Is this the kind of guy I can live like this with? You see, he may have nice teeth. He may have a nice fat wallet. He may have a nice car. He may have a nice smile. He may be wonderful and make you feel butterflies inside of you. I'm wondering when you watch him, are you watching a man follow Christ? And are you saying, I want to join in on that adventure? I want to join in on living this life out for eternal purposes and I can see myself doing that with Him. That's the number one question you need to be asking yourself. Is He honoring you? Does He speak well of you? Is He speaking well to you? Again, none of this makes sense if you do not believe the gospel because all of this goes against culture. It goes against what we are naturally inclined to do which is why we are putting Christ at the center of our marriages. We're following after him. And as a consequence, we are choosing. We are choosing. This is always going to be a choice. In marriage, you don't get to say, I don't feel like it today. Guess what happens when you wake up and say, I don't feel like work today. We get fired. Guess what happens when you say, I don't feel like paying taxes today. You know, it's boring. It's uncomfortable. We go to prison. Guess what happens when you say, I don't feel like eating today. We get tired and hungry. We get sick and weak. And guess what happens when you wake up morning after morning after morning? I don't feel like choosing this for my marriage. Your marriage will only be as good as both of you choose it to be. And I'm saying instead of taking the Bible and putting it through the lens of Oprah and Dr. Phil, I'm saying put everything else down. Let's come to God, the author of life and love and marriage. And let's see how he is calling us to live in a way that teaches us to live such good marriages amongst the pagans. That though they accuse of us all sorts of things, they may see our good works and give glory to God in the day he comes to visit us. So. We are going to come to the table, which I think is so apt. It's always going to come to gospel-centered things, gospel-centered lives, gospel-centered marriages. And I understand, and we're going to get to that when we pray, after you've got the bread, after you've got the wine. I know that if you're married, there are parts that are great and there are parts that are not great. Maybe more great than not, or maybe more not than great. I get that. I want to be praying for you.
But let's start by acknowledging that every single person sitting here needs grace. And let's start by coming to the cross as equals, equally in need of Christ's work in our lives. Take some bread representing his broken body. Take some juice recognizing his shed blood for us. Don't just wait. We'll take it together and we'll pray into this together and we'll allow God to really work amongst us. Father, we thank you that at the center of history is the cross. And it's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. This is something that informs all of life. And this is something that undergirds our marriages and our hopes and our responses in difficult and in great times. So Father, we come to you expressing our need for grace. Amen.